As usual, I asked our guest, John Paulson, to pound the table for someone. Who you pounded the table for, John? Well, I'm seven spots high on Mike Davis of the Atlanta Falcons. They didn't draft a, a running back, uh, and they let Todd Gurley and Brian Hill go, and they cut Ito Smith. That means there's 425 touches vacated from last year's team. Uh, they have a new head coach, Arthur Smith, who did a great job with the Tennessee offense. And just really no competition for, for Davis as the lead back there. They did, they did take uh, JV and Hawkins late in the draft, but or, or actually he was a undrafted free agent. Um, but I think he's going to be a backup. Uh, and you're just looking at Davis as a, you know, 17 to 20 touch guy. And he's going in the, you know, end of the fourth, early fifth round. I think he's a nice RB2 that you could pair with uh, his old teammate, uh, Christian McCaffrey, or another early round, uh, first round uh, running back. And you can uh, maybe go running back, tight end, wide receiver, wide receiver, and then maybe Davis in the early fifth. That's awesome, awesome, John. I, I love going after Mike Davis, making him two years in a row fantasy viable after a late start to his career. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. With me this week, co-hosting is uh, the wonderful Jen Akins. Jen, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I can't complain, you know? Life's good. <laughs> Short Nothing and simple. Expect, I love yeah, it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, also, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're pleased to be joined once again by John Paulson, our director of rankings, uh, coming out of the ranking cave uh, to, to show, share with us his wisdom about who to target and in which order going into this season. Uh, follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. John, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, actually. Uh, I'm happy to have the rankings and projections done. Now it's just a matter of tweaking them for the rest of the summer and getting into some of these uh, drafts so I can get my uh, draft plan uh, refined and, and dialed in. Now that they're out, are you allowed to like go out and do things now? Are you allowed some free time? Or, or you know, is that just the next thing, making sure you stay updated? I, are you allowed to have fun? Yeah, the, 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 the rankings cave that I go into, it is, it's, it's open. So I can, I can enter and leave when I want to. And if I need a break, I can. Uh, there was a door on it early that Josh would lock. <laughs> and then unlock when I was done. But I, we, we, we negotiated that, and now I, now I can come and go as I please. Well, congratulations on the negotiation. Thank you. That's fantastic. Thank uh, you. Everyone, sign up for 444.com. Check out John's rankings. Also, John has uh, rankings breakdown each position. We're going to go over some of those things, but if you want a much more in-depth take on why he ranked who where for the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, go and check those out. We'll add those links to the show notes. We're going to skip uh, the, uh, the segments this week. We're just going to go straight into rankings. Uh, we're going to go by position, but I had a couple general rankings questions that Jen and I wanted to throw your way john uh, i i know putting together your initial annual rankings it, it's a long and grueling process but i want to hear like a cliff's notes version of what your process is i i used to answer questions at the discuss your team forum before it was phased out uh to, to our discord community which is probably where all those questions are going to go now uh all the questions i used to get all the time i would get what's john's process what's john thinking about can you clue us in without giving up too much of your secret rankings wizardry yeah, there's definitely like a lot of math involved, uh, regression equations that uh, come up with the baselines for each team, and those are based on what these teams have done in previous years. Uh, they're based on uh, the Vegas expectations of team wins, um, and then I will adjust there, basically looking at the, the uh, expected starting quarterback for each team 
to kind of refine some of the yardage numbers and touchdown numbers and interception numbers from there. It's grueling is a good word for it. I also uh, will look at league trends. So if I look at the last five or six years, and last year was a little bit of an outlier because of COVID and no um, fans uh, for sure. road teams. Um, the offenses just really took off. So I had to kind of uh, back those numbers out and look at the previous three or four years to see where the league is headed. Uh, and a lot of that will be affected by the, you know, the quarterback class coming in and, and the quality of the quarterback play in any given year. Um, but you can kind of see that things are heading a little more past, but then they'll regress a little bit. And I, I like to have the league-wide totals, pass attempts, rushing attempts, yardage, touchdowns, et cetera, have those make sense within the, you know, within the context of the last five years and where things are headed. So that's another aspect of it. So all that combined, I, I end up with the, the team stats. And at that point, I have to divvy up all the stats amongst the players that are still on the team, the draft picks, the free agents uh, that have arrived. And and then I look at the rankings and see where people fall. And then there's just some certain situations where I have to refine it and change it further to because I w- I'm not planning to draft that player or have him rank that high or that low. And uh, by the end of all this, I have a pretty good set of, of rankings. And then at this point, starting you know this week, basically, I get into a lot of drafts and I'll refine the rankings based on who I'm drafting. I mean, I might rank one player ahead of another you know, when it comes to put out the rankings. But when it comes down to it, am I actually drafting that player ahead of the <laughs> other? You know what I mean? So yeah. if, I, if I find myself eh, and I start thinking about it, I might move the player down or up uh, to, to fix that. So that really when users... Uh, subscribe and are using these rankings that they basically have what I would do at any given situation for the most part, especially in the first five or six, seven rounds. And then after that, it it becomes kind of team dependent as to what I would do in certain situations might need upside, but I want the the subscribers to basically have my thousands of decisions (laughs) baked into the (laughs) uh, rankings so that they, they can use them if they want. And, you know, they have me have my advice there and not have to, you know, watch me draft a, a player outside my rankings that uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I want I want my advice to the uh, to the subscribers to be what I would do in the draft. Let me ask you, John, being as that it's May, right? Some of us, it doesn't even feel like May. It feels like August, I think, is where some of us are in full season, you know, work mode. But being though it is May and there are certain positions that are not totally decided. I mean, you still have a couple places, you know, like in, say, Denver, there, there's not an actual quarterback that we know of yet. How hard is it to to do that? And do you, you know, how, how does it affect your rankings, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I have to make my best guess as to what's going to happen. So in the situation you're alluding to is Aaron Rodgers potentially going to Denver or you maybe you're referring to Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, you know, fighting for a spot, or maybe Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, I have to sort of make my best guess as to what's going to happen. And right now, my best guess is, uh, you know, I think I have Locke ahead of Bridgewater, but it's pretty close. And, you know, I have them both getting some starts. I have uh, Taysom Hill getting some work as well, but I've got Winston ahead of him because it seems like the general consensus with the with the uh, New, uh, New Orleans uh, beat writers is that, you know, they want Winston to be the starter there. Uh, so these these kind of fuzzy situations are reflected in the rankings by these players being you know lower than usual because I don't assume Winston's going to start 16 games or that Drew Locke's going to start 16 games because they would be otherwise too high in terms of my draft rankings. So uh, when there's uncertainty like that, basically just kind of weighs everybody down. 
Sure. So you kind of evaluate how many games you might think they'll start. Yes. Like I'll like I'm looking at um, my rankings for for Denver, and you also have the whole caveat with uh, with the Rogers potential trade or everybody's wanting that to happen apparently, except for Packer fans. But I've got I've got Locke at 31, and I've got Bridgewater at 34, and it's basically Locke, you know, starting a couple games more than Teddy. Uh, and then mm-hmm. these are these are the situations where if we start to see uh, a favorite in the clubhouse, um, you know maybe Teddy's looking great and is now getting QB one reps in practice, and you know it looks like he's going to win the job. And then you move him up. It's the same thing with Mac Jones and Cam Newton. Uh, I've got Cam in as a starter right now. I think he's got a better than fifty fifty chance of holding on to that starting job for a while. Uh, I do think Mac. I do have Mac Jones, you know, starting some games. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, in all the likelihood, there's either going to be an injury with Newton or there's going to be a quarterback change. Um, so those are the types of things that are going on. Those guys in the in the 26 to 40 range are going to move around quite a bit based on which way the wind's blowing in camp. Sure, sure. Um, so let's uh, so those are the bottom of your quarterback rankings. Let's start looking at the top a little bit. Your top seven uh, match up real well with ADP at underdog. It's just uh, uh, it seems to be pretty chalk, the top seven quarterbacks. Um, highest being drafted, uh, Patrick Mahomes in the third round. I've always been a weight on a quarterback guy, but I know like last year, my better teams had Josh Allen on them and and, and had, had quarterbacks that were um, putting up really prolific numbers. Do you see yourself eyeing quarterbacks at that ADP in that top seven, or are you still waiting? Is that still a viable strategy? Well, you you know you brought up Josh Allen, which is interesting because he was actually uh, like an eighth round guy. Yeah. So at FFPC, <laughs> we took him. So we waited, and you know we didn't wait as usual as long as usual. I mean, it's usually double digit rounds. You can start. You could get some good um, uh, quarterbacks, um, but I think. In general, you're looking at this top seven, and then you've got Rodgers at eight. If he returns to, to Green Bay, then he's got a great chance in finishing the top eight. You've got Jalen Hurts at nine, um, really at high upside, but just a lot of question marks about, you know. But I think we, I think we know he's probably going to start most of the games. He's not going to lose his job. Yeah. He's got that rushing floor, and, and you just look at him as a high, maybe a top five potential if he if things really break his way especially with Devonta Smith in and then Tom Brady after that so you, you get into Stafford Tannehill Ryan Burrow and you're like yeah you could wait and you could end up with one of these guys you know you maybe you're looking at the 10th 11th 12th round for one of those guys and that's fine and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is another player that you could look at um later on uh you know he's he's I don't I can't I can't bring myself to project him for 17 games uh, because he has <laughs> not played a full season in a long long time um, but if, if I did project him for 17 games, he'd be in the top 12. Wow. So there, there's just, there's some, there's some uncertainty baked in with him cause he's always losing his job or he's, you know, there's injuries sometimes or whatever, but th- if there's going to be a year where he plays a full season, it looks like it's going to be this year. I love it. I love it. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of competition there. Um, so sounds like waiting on a quarterback is still viable. Um, how long do you wait in two quarterback or super flex leagues? Just cause those are getting so much more popular lately. Yeah, I think in two quarterback leagues, you got to go a little earlier because you're going to end up with trash if you're if you're not careful. I mean, I wouldn't mind Fitzpatrick being my number two. I wouldn't hate it if it was like Derek Carr because he's going really late, but he typically finishes in the top twenty or top eighteen. Yeah, I think he's a nice value, um, but I guess his job is a little bit up in the air. And Ryan Tannehill is another QB two that he's going QB sixteen off the off the board, but I've got him ranked twelfth. I think in Superflex, you don't really wait as long. I, I would like to see in Superflex, I usually, what my plan is, I usually look at ADP and try to see where my picks fall. 
And like, which two quarterbacks could I be comfortable with, like <laughs> as the worst two options? And then like, usually I'm trying to get a stud and then, you know, a, a backup that I think, or a QB2, QB3 type that I think is really uh, undervalued. Yeah, playing quarterback chicken and superflex is no fun. I've I've done it, and you know what? It it you think you always think, all right, I'm gonna be fine, I'm gonna be fine, and then all of a sudden you're not. You know, and <laughs> that happened to me last year in a couple of leagues, and I was, uh, and it, yeah, it affects the whole season really because you're always trying to catch up and try to grab someone, and it, it never seems to pan out that way. Um, so John, you have uh, you have Dak at number three. Right. In between Josh Allen and Lamar. Some people, you know, I've seen, you know, a flip flop between Kyler and Dak. How do you feel about his ankle? Obviously, well, I would assume if you have him at three. Yeah, I mean, my assumption is that everything is going smoothly. That's what I've seen. Um, I he, he's incredibly productive when he's out there. Uh, I, I think he's got the arguably the best receiving core in the league or one of them. Uh, and he's been super productive in recent games in recent years. He was really on a great pace to start last year. So, um, and the defense is not the strength of the team. I'll just say that. So, um, <laughs> That's very I, think he, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be quite good. I think in, just in a vacuum, I would have him, I mean, I would take him ahead of Lamar and, and Kyler. I like both Lamar and Kyler and I drafted, uh, Kyler last year. I took Lamar this year in a, in a, one of those, uh, fantasy football eliminator leagues, uh, Russell Wilson and Justin Herbert are like, you can't really go wrong with any of these guys. But I think from a value standpoint of this group, Dak's going, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh of this group. And uh, with that sort of value, and you can get him as one of the last guys in this tier, uh, I think he's a real nice pick. Excellent. Excellent. I know uh, he was one of my, like, Dak in the sixth th- thing. I'll probably go into this season with a similar mentality. Like, if he's there in the sixth, I'll grab him. Justin Herbert, another kind of exciting young one who, uh, you know, going into his sophomore year, some people worry about the sophomore slump. Um, certainly lit the world on fire last year, was ninth QB9 in fantasy points last year. Uh, how how good do you think Justin Herbert can be with the new coaching staff, with Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi coming in? Well, when I've studied rookie quarterbacks in the past, I have found that they tend to fall into two two categories. Either they're really good as rookies or they are not good at all. And the, and the ones that are really good as rookies tend to regress in their second season, whereas uh, the ones that are not good at all tend to do significantly better. They don't usually they don't usually like merge those groups, but. I think with Herbert, with Herbert, he looks so good last year. He's got the rushing floor. He's got Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Williams. They got Jared Cook there at tight end. He's got Austin Eckler. I just think he's set up for uh, a lot of success there. And, you know, having him at seven, I, I mean, I might move Rodgers ahead of him if, if Rodgers, like, resigns at Green Bay. But, I don't, you know, I think Herbert's a real a safe pick there in the middle rounds. So we kind of already talked about QB twos, which is something I wanted to I wanted to ask about. But uh, you kind of already talked about some of those targets. So instead, let's uh, let's ask about Jameis Winston. That whole Saints situation. You talked about how you rank them, uh, Winston. You've got at twenty four right now, assuming that there's Merck going on. If mm-hmm. if that Merck goes away and Winston is the starter, definitely in that Sean Payton offense, how high do you think he could rise on your list? Well, he, you know he's a. We've seen him as a fantasy star, right? So I think the concern with him is maybe a quick leash if he if he stinks, uh, if he has a bad game, a three interception game or something. But the last time we saw him in 2019, he was number five fantasy uh, quarterback. Now things are a little different here in New Orleans because you have Taysom Hill coming in maybe in the red zone or coming in around the goal line, like causing some problems for him. 
Um, but I mean, I still think a top 15, top 18 type season is in the cards for Winston if he starts 14, 15, 16 games because, uh, you know, he's got Michael Thomas and he's a good fantasy quarterback. He's proven that. This could clear up quickly and he moves up, you know, in ahead of Derek Carr, you know, around Tua, maybe even higher. Uh, if if it looks like he's not going to come off the field at all, which I don't think they're going to tell us, we're not going to know that. I think we have to assume that he's going to be treated the same way Drew Brees was, if if not worse. So uh, I, I wouldn't have him too high. I don't think he would, you know, creep in the top twelve or top fourteen. Um, but I think certainly as a strong QB two, if he wins that job, that that makes a lot of sense. I like Winston. I think it's funny, you know. It, I think it obviously depends on on league scoring. You know, certain leagues that penalize heavily for interceptions, maybe he's not a good call. But I think he's someone, you know, especially in Superflex and, and other leagues that have you know different roster construction options. I think he's a fun, he's a fun, you know, kind of late later round guy that could pay off. Like he won me a championship in 2019, so I'll always be, you know, in his in his debt for that. <laughs> uh, I think we should move on to uh, running backs, shall we? Folks, best ball season is in full swing, and as you're checking out draft lobbies, don't forget to use our promo code 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4 at Underdog Fantasy. Underdog is the only place you can participate in the Best Ball Mania 2 tournament. They have daily, weekly, season-long, and pick'em format, so there's something for everyone. Use our code and play your first contest free, as well as offering a money-back guarantee up to $100. That's right, if you don't love it, you get your money back. Sign up today at 4for4.co slash underdog. Let's start at the top. So, I mean, you know, no surprise there, right? We see McCaffrey in your top slot along with pretty much everyone else's. Um, you know, similar to Dak, are, are we worried about his injury? And, you know, similar with, say, Saquon, you know, who I think you have as fifth, either, either one of them. I mean, how are you feeling about it? As of right now, you know, the news has been positive. So I'm assuming they're going to be out there for camp in week one. Uh, you start to get some negative news. Their, their projections will start to fall. But at, at this point, I'm assuming that McCaffrey and, and Barkley will be starting week one. So uh, I don't deem them any more. The chances are not any higher for them to get an injury than, you know, say Dalvin Cook or, right. you know, Alvin Kamara or Aaron Jones. So I, I'm not going to downgrade them because they had an injury last year. So um, I'm just treating them like they're healthy. They'll be healthy by week one. And, um, you know, McCaffrey is one of the best receiving backs we've ever seen. Uh, I think he goes right back to that giant role that he had. And Barkley has been a, you know, a stud for, for the Giants as long as he's been healthy. They've got some, some competition for targets, so maybe his catches drop a little bit. But uh, Barkley should be the focal point of that offense. I'm so terrible. I have such a, like, a short memory. Like, I just think I'm like, oh, they were hurt last year. That's dangerous. And then I forget, like, well, Dalvin Cook was hurt like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> um, I wanted to highlight a couple uh, top ten, a couple other players in your top ten uh, that some people might have some concerns about. Uh, you have Jonathan Taylor at number seven, Joe Mixon at number ten. Uh, Taylor with the Colts, it's a new offense. Marlon Mack is back. Uh, any concerns about the touches there? And then with Mixon, since he's been so disappointing, uh, even when he's been healthy, really, he hasn't uh, taken that leap that we've all kind of expected him to. Uh, mm-hmm. How comfortable would you be with these two as your RB1? Well, let me start with Taylor. I think that, you know, Mac is probably a depth piece. I think, you know, the plan at the start of last year was to kind of ease Taylor in and Mac was going to see starter type touches or at least lead back type touches. But I think Taylor at this point is, is that role, if not the bell cow, uh, he saw a lot of work late in the season last year. Naima Hines is, is a threat to his catches. So I don't, that's why I don't have Taylor in the top five. Um, he's just kind of a, he's not a true bell cow, but he's like the next best thing. Uh, and as for Mixon, uh, I don't agree with the, 
premise that he's been so disappointing. I looked back at his numbers. Uh, in 2019, he was RB13. In 2018, he was RB9. And that was, you know, that was with Gio Bernard playing a sizable role as a passing down back and eating into his snaps. And they're basically saying that they don't want Mixon to come off the field. Last year, he had 23.3 touches per game in the, in the five games that he had. I think the concern with him is maybe he is one of these guys that's maybe a little injury prone and he's not going to you know play the 14, 15 games that I'm expecting all running backs to to, to play. But um, I, I, th- I feel pretty confident that he's a, an RB1. I don't know if he should be a 10 or if he, maybe he should be a 12. Um, but he's he's going to see that 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 workload. He was fourth in the in the league in touches per game last year before the injury. Um, so yeah, you know the other thing I, I wanted to also ask about Cam Akers. You know it's interesting. So you have him at twelve, and right now he's RB eight, uh, being drafted as ADP at underdog. What is your where's the discrepancy there? Are you more uh, concerned about Daryl Henderson getting in in the mix, or just you know Stafford there, or, or why uh, why do you have him a little lower? Yeah, so I. Just as a caveat, I don't look a lot at ADP prior to releasing projections, so they sort of end up where they end up based on, uh, you know, shares of targets and touches and yards and all that. Sure. Uh, once I get into the drafts and I'm looking at it and I'm looking at Acres versus Harris or I'm looking at Acres versus Mixon and I'm not like, eh, well, maybe I want Acres and why is that? And, and maybe I adjust the rankings. They're only, he's only five points out of the top nine. Um, so if he replaced Chubb there at nine, he'd be one spot off of ADP. Not a big deal to me. If somebody wants to take acres ahead of those other guys, and I don't have any problem with it. The concern with acres is he had a ton of t- uh, carries t- towards the end of the year. Um, but he only had 11 catches in his final five games. Um, the team had 50 total catches, you know, running back catches in 2020. Gurley only had 31 catches in 15 games in 2019, and that was scaled way back from the previous year when Gurley was, you know, a primary one of the primary passing uh, running backs in the league. Uh, Akers averaged 26.4 carries per game in the down the stretch, including the playoffs. And I just don't know that that's going to be like they were trying to get into the playoffs, win playoff games, you know, must win games, and I think they were feeding Akers because they felt like he gave him the best chance to win. But heading into a 17 game season with Daryl Henderson, who played really well last year when he was the lead back or had opportunities, I don't think that Sean McVay is going to give him that sort of workload uh, for a full 16, 17 game season. Uh, so that's the concern a little bit. I think they might uh, rotate uh, Henderson in more. He's been McVeigh has been more of a committee type running back guy for the last couple of years, except for these last handful of games of last year. And I just don't see Acres, you know, surpassing twenty twenty two carries per game. It's possible they may decide to roll with that, um, but I think it's more likely that he's going to, you know, be in that fifteen to seventeen range with a couple catches. And that knocks him down out of the top 10 for me. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, John, Jen, you both have edited my work on multiple occasions. So you know that I have an affinity for rookie running backs. You know that I I love them dearly and I draft way too many of them (laughs) way too early every year. Uh, That being said, I love seeing Najee Harris at 11. So uh, John, where would you be comfortable drafting him? So I know just how too high I am on him in all drafts this year. Yeah, I think you're, you know, early second round, you uh, being so, favorable towards rookie running backs might take him at the end of the first round that might be a little rich for me because I think I could get Ezekiel Elliott or Aaron Jones there and I'm going to do that you know I think I think you know you get Mixon Chubb Harris and Akers in a room and Eckler in the room PPR and you got kind of a tough decision with Harris 
I, I do think that they're going to just treat him as the bell cow. So I went back to Le'Veon Bell type workload uh, for, for him when trying to project his shares, because I don't think that they, they drafted him where they drafted him, you know, to have him, you know, sharing time with Benny Snell or something. <laughs> so uh, I think Harris will be that guy. And, you know, I've got 249 carries, 45 catches. He can catch the ball. Uh, so he's a three down guy. So I got him going over, you know, 1300 total yards and, you know, he probably scores six or seven touchdowns, eight touchdowns. Maybe the, the thing with, with Harris and the Pittsburgh Steelers offense as it stands is that the rushing game has not been as efficient as it had been in previous years. And part of that's due to the offensive line, you know, taking a step back. Um, I'm expecting a little bit of a bounce back year for them, but I don't know that they're going to be back to the day where they could run it. 25, 30 times, uh, you know, down the throat of a defense. So they are built to pass the ball, but I think Harris will complement that with a, with a solid running game. Nice. Uh, so, you know, I, I wanted to ask about RB2s, right? We all, we all love a bargain. We all love, you know, and then there's, of course, that dreaded, you know, the RB dead zone that people talk about, right? Who are some of your favorite targets, you know, in that so-called dead zone, right? With, with their ADP, say, ranging from the third to sixth round. Are there any guys that you like there? Yeah, I don't know that I would call it a dead zone. I'm I'm looking I'm trying to like research this and find out what, what the dead zone means and, and how to take advantage of it because uh I look at it like you have Chris Carson in the third round. I think that's a great value. I think David Montgomery even now with his ADP taking such a slide, you know, Tree Cohen and Damian Williams are there, but he was top five running back last year and you can get him in the third or the fourth round. Uh Miles Gaskin for sure is a target at that he and Davis or Mike Davis are going at that four five turn. So I love the idea of pairing them as an RB two with, you know, a Christian McCaffrey in it or a Dalvin cook or somebody early in the first round, allowing me to draft a Darren Waller in the late second or early third, and maybe a Calvin Ridley. Um, and then you come back with, with Gaskin or Davis as your RB two, along with another uh, receiver, uh, you've really got a nice balanced team. And I think guys like Gaskin and Davis are, they're going to kind of stay where they are. I mean, they're going to rise a little bit, but there are just a lot of running backs here that are going in that first four rounds that I don't know that they're going to move up and pass any of them. I mean, people love DeAndre Swift. You know, Edwards Hilaire's going to see a bump in touches. Antonio Gibson's great. You know, you're getting into in Dobbins. They love, people love Dobbins. I'm probably going to steer clear of him at his cost. Um, but I think these guys are going to stay in that fourth round. Um, I don't think, I think the days of getting Mike Davis maybe in the fifth round are probably over. Um, but I think in the fourth, late fourth round, you can maybe count on Gaskin or Davis being there as your RB2. I, I really like that as a, as a value. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I agree. And it's funny. I'm, I'm in an F in an FFPC right now. And for some reason I've been getting a lot of the one, one, I don't know why I'm, I'm certainly not complaining, but I've been getting a lot of the one, one this season. And I've been doing exactly what you said. I'm like McCaffrey, and then I just hammer out three great receivers, and then I'll take like a Hunter or Davis in the top of the fifth. And I've been pretty pleased with how that's been uh, how it's been shaping up. Thank you for the Swift and Dobbins commentary, by the way, because I feel like the Swift love. I, I'm seeing him go like early second round in some of the drafts I've been in mm-hmm. lately, and that just seems crazy to me. DeAndre, we don't know how many Terry's he's going to get this year. Jamal Williams is really good. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do for Swift. I do think that he'll see a lot of catches because of what happened there at receiver. 
Um, so I think that role for him will expand. So I've got him projected for 53 catches, but you know, 172 carries. And I think Jamal Williams is a fantastic value. I've actually got him projected for one extra carry over, uh, over Swift. And he can also catch the ball 40, having projected for 41 catches. So I, I think Williams is really undervalued. doesn't mean that I wouldn't draft Swift, but where he's going, uh, if he's not there in the, like the third round, I'm not, I'm not going to bite. No, I agree. I, yeah. you know, you guys know I love Swift as a UGA grab, but I just can't, I can't pay that for him. Yeah. And Jen just wrote something about Jamal Williams, which uh, basically echoes what you just said, John, and has talked me into targeting him. So um, yeah, they don't, and- like, they, look, they didn't, they didn't sign Williams just to be his backup. Like he is a good right? player and he's not, he's not as good as DeAndre Swift, but they're not going to give Swift 350 touches. They, they want to split the work there. And Williams is perfectly capable of coming in for Swift and doing the exact same things that he does. Just not as well. Awesome. And, uh, you know, with Dobbins, like, and we're going to talk about this, like Gus Edwards isn't just going away. They brought him back. Lamar Jackson's not going to stop scoring touchdowns, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And then Dobbins is the issue with him is catches. Like he yeah. just doesn't, and none of the running backs there have a big role in the passing game. So I think Dobbins is fine in standard formats. And I would, I would draft him at PPR if he fell to me, but you know, I, I have a projected for 29 catches and that's not going to get it done in full PPR. Definitely not in the third round. Yeah. For <laughs> um, sure. So uh, speaking of Gus Edwards, when you're filling out your rankings and your fantasy rosters, really, um, how do you decide whether to go for a high upside backup or handcuff like a Gus Edwards? Or if you're looking at like a pass catching back who may not have as high of a ceiling if if the starter gets hurt, but will produce each week like a Naheem Hines. Like how do you how do you grade out ranking those two? Uh, I think it sort of depends on where I'm at at the running back position. If I'm uh, if I've drafted receivers and tight ends uh, early, and I'm kind of looking at a like trying to cobble together, uh, you know, points each week, I might go with somebody like Hines, where I'm just trying to get ten points out of that position uh, in any given week. Uh, I do think that Gus Edwards is also a consistent, like low, like high floor, consistent player. He doesn't have the ceiling of, of Hines maybe, or, you know, Hines might have the seven catch for 90 yard touchdown game. Right. Yeah. But uh, Edwards is usually good for seven to 10 points. Cause he's, he's getting, you know, 60, 70 yards rushing and maybe a touchdown. Another player that kind of sprung to mind when I read this question is maybe like a Tony Pollard. So oh, yeah. like, what do you, like, what do you expect from him this year with a healthy Zeke Elliott and this offense, you know, more rolling than, it, than it was last year. You know, he's a guy that if you, if you draft him, you're not hoping for, but you're preparing for maybe a Zeke injury. And now you've got an RB one. I think even if, if, even if like Dobbins goes down, I don't know that Edwards is an RB one because he doesn't catch the ball. I think maybe he'd be a high end RB two, but he has that upside as well. Um, so I think when, when I have two good running backs, then start maybe my third or fourth running back is somebody that maybe isn't going to produce on a weekly basis, but is more of an attrition play where if, if there is an injury, all of a sudden I have a third starting running back or maybe I have somebody that can step in if one of my guys gets injured. Um, but, you know, if it's a really ugly receiving or a uh, really ugly uh, running back core, I might just, you know, draft a guy like Hines just to have some some points like a, or a James White, you know, somebody that's going to get me some a decent amount of points on a given base on a weekly basis. I mean, I, it's interesting, you know, trying to kind of navigate kind of those later round, especially, you know, obviously we all know there's all these different strategies people will go zero rb zero receiver whatever but i I find it interesting navigating kind of the end and and the guys that are going to produce at the end that have the potential um let's move on to wide receiver shall we um you've got aj brown third 
which I personally love. I mean, do you have him there? Basically, you think Tannehill is just going to feed him because there's nobody else there? Or is there something else that um, makes you so bullish on Brown ahead of Diggs and, uh, say, DK Metcalf? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a conservation of targets type of a situation. Vacated targets with Corey Davis leaving, Janu Smith leaving. I mean, I do think Josh Reynolds and uh, Fitzpatrick that they drafted and Ferkser will pick up some of the slack. But I think AJ Brown could be looking at Devontae Adams type market shares this year, and I would expect him to go over 100 catches. Uh, he is one of the most efficient productive receivers in the routes and targets that he gets. And I don't know that the the team is going to be able to pound uh, Derrick Henry down the throats of everybody uh, this year. Maybe the defense struggles a little bit. Maybe they have to throw the ball a little bit more. Uh, if anything's going to happen to that offense with a new offensive coordinator in there, it's, it's pr- probably not going to get more run heavy. So if it goes a little bit more pass heavy, Plus, you have all these vacated targets. I think Brown is just ready and primed for a, a top three type year. Yeah, I I love your uh, you know, that's your top three and top four uh, guys. I love your five through nine guys too. You've got you know, you've got Calvin Ridley and DK Metcalf, Hopkins, Justin Jefferson, Keenan Allen. Uh, that kind of rounds out your top nine. Uh, can I start running back tight end and still get a couple of these guys? Because I'm seeing them last a little bit. Uh, you know, it, Keenan Allen at nine, available kind of in that fourth round territory. I love that start. Is that something you're doing a lot? Well, most of the time they're, this group is gone by the fourth, but the good news is you can get Robert Woods, DJ Moore, Mike Evans in the fourth round, or even Deontay Johnson in the fifth round. Uh, as sort of a poor man's Keenan Allen, uh, so you can get one. You can get one of these guys in the third, and then you're probably going to have to pick from a different tier in the fourth. But it's possible that you know maybe Keenan drops. Uh, I don't think Jefferson, Ridley, or Hopkins are going to last into the fourth round. I mean, Keenan Allen was such a value last year in the fifth round, and I don't see people passing on him again realizing what he did last year but you know Robert Woods had a great year and he is going in the exact place same place as he went last season and he's got a quarterback upgrade on top of it so um you know I like him and Moore and Evans and those guys in the fourth round how do we feel about Michael Thomas I mean is it tough he's a tough one for me you know and I'm not the actual you know ranker cave guy but for me just even like going to draft him it's always like what do you do with him I mean because he his talent hasn't changed but yet his quarterback has and he had one down year like do we write him off like I think you have him at what 10 yeah I have him at 10 he did all right with Taysom Hill last year I think that if uh Winston is in there we can feel pretty confident about his floor Winston supported lots of great receivers when he was at Tampa uh if it's Taysom Hill I think it's a little more a little dicier but I still think that you know Taysom did well enough in that four game stretch you got to remember one of those games was that weird Denver game where they had a receiver playing quarterback so (laughs) basically Sean Payton said don't turn the ball over right (laughs) because that's the only way we're gonna lose that's the only way we're gonna lose this game is if you turn the ball over so he had him, you know, run basically a different offense for that game just to get through it. Uh, but, you know, he played Atlanta twice and Philly twi- uh, uh, once and did pretty well um, pr- from a production standpoint. Uh, you know, the intricacies of the position and whether or not uh, Peyton was happy uh, with his play, uh, you know, he didn't play lights out to the point where they're giving him the starting job. So he's in a competition. But I think either way, Thomas is safe. I think that if if Taysom 
is the starter. He's a little dicey there. You might want to take a McLaurin or an Allen Robinson ahead of him or a Robert Woods right. or a Lamb. But if, if it's Winston, I think you're in, which is, seems to be the consensus is that it's going to be Winston. I think 10 is fair for him because he's, you know, they, they lost uh, Emmanuel Sanders. They lost Jared Cook. I mean, right. he might see that huge target share as well, uh, you know, like A.J. Brown, like Devontae Adams. Right. No, I, I like it. It's weird. I kind of find myself passing on him, but I think I need to start grabbing a little bit of him here and there because he could, you know, if, if he gets back to actual Michael Thomas, um, he's a great value where he's going. Let's talk about, so in your, in your, um, your wide receiver rankings breakdown, you, know, you did each, each position, you kind of talked about the value of wide receiver in the middle rounds. Um, give us some of your favorite mid-round targets. Yeah, looking at it, some guys jumped out, and uh, I was kind of surprised by their ADP in a way. Uh, and this is what I did last year was I I did hit running back fairly early. I always went with the stud tight end and Kelsey or uh, Kittle or uh, Andrews or Waller even, um, and then was hitting the receiver position a lot in the third through or fourth through eighth, ninth round, and there's just a lot of guys that I was happy at those rounds with the, you know, getting them in those rounds, I just felt like they're undervalued, you know, in the sixth round T Higgins, I think he's fine. Like I think chase comes in as the alpha, but AJ green gave up a lot of targets. He was seeing a lot of targets there last year. That is the second, uh, they were the second pass heaviest team with, with burrow at quarterback. So I think there's plenty of work for him and uh, for Higgins and for, for chase and Boyd for that matter. They don't really have a tight end to speak of. Uh, Odell Beckham in the sixth round now just kind of feels like it might be a, like a Stefan Diggs situation where he, when he went to Buffalo, he was going in the sixth round. Beckham is that sort of talent. We haven't seen it really shine on the field consistently since he's been in Cleveland, but he was, he was getting a 114 target pace uh, prior to, prior to getting injured in the first six games. And, you know, people make a lot out of Baker Mayfield taking off in the second half of the season. Uh, but I don't think that was because Beckham was out. I think it was just because that's when he started feeling comfortable in Kevin Stefanski's offense. And I think mm-hmm. adding Beckham back to that might get you back. And I don't think Landry is what in his prime Landry was. So I think Beckham could really be a nice value in the sixth round. I wouldn't mind adding him at that cost. I mean, I, I think third or fourth round last year or whatever it was, th- that was too pricey for me. And I was avoiding. Um, but I think sixth round is kind of feels like Stefan Diggs. Chase Claypool. Sixth round, I, I like him there. Uh, I do have him lowest of the three Steelers, uh, just from a target standpoint, but I think he's got talent. And then if there's an injury to Deontay or Juju, now you're looking at a fourth round, third round value. Curtis Samuel in the eighth round, I like that a lot. Uh, Washington went out and got him. They added uh, Fitzpatrick at quarterback. He's reunited with uh, Scott Turner and Ron Rivera. This is going to be like no learning curve for him getting back into this offense. I don't usually like to draft free agent receivers that switch teams. Um, unless they're getting a, an increase in targets or an upgraded quarterback. And I think Samuel might be getting both, you know, the upgraded quarterback to Fitzpatrick, who will give him opportunities to, he's a good deep ball thrower. He will give Samuel opportunities to make plays in the ball. And then I think he might see an upgrade in his targets as well with you're really nothing there at receiver uh, after Terry McLaurin. And then I think McKissick probably takes a step back in his targets. And that's where Samuel gets some of those, maybe get some carries as well. Uh, Devonta Smith in Philly is interesting. Uh, not a lot of competition. He should 
come in and be the number one target. Uh, you know, he's got Dallas Goddard to deal with. I mean, that might change a little bit if Zach Ertz is still there. Uh, but Devonta's, I think, a good value. He's going eighth, seventh, eighth round. Mm-hmm. Brandon Cooks for Houston, you know, typically a thousand yard receiver. He had the one year where he didn't have that in, in LA and then got, uh, we went to, went to Houston. And I don't know, know who's going to be the quarterback there. I don't think it's going to be Deshaun Watson, but Tyrod Taylor's capable of delivering the ball. Davis Mills will be okay. They're going to be bad, this team. So they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. So even if Cooks is like, you know, 50% catch rate, that's not, uh, it won't matter if he's getting 140 targets, like he'll get, he'll get there. Uh, he might be a garbage time kind of guy. And then I like John Brown too, in, in, uh, Vegas, like he's, he's coming in replacing Aguilar. Uh, I don't think that, I think he's better player than Henry Ruggs and, no one's talking about John Brown. For yeah, yeah, he's going no. super late. Might uh, be the most talented receiver that's been there in a while, right? <laughs> he's their best, certainly the best receiver on the roster. Yeah. And you know they have him, they have him, you know, po- uh, projected to be a backup. But two seasons ago, seventy-two catches, a thousand sixty yards, uh, six touchdowns for the Bills, one hundred fifteen targets. He was uh, dinged up last year, and I think they didn't feel like they had to push him out there when they had Diggs out there and Beasley. So I think I think Brown is a real nice value later later in the draft. Sure, uh, going to like a team that you don't seem as high on. You've got three top Jags uh, wide receivers. You've got them ranked thirty uh, first with DJ Chark, forty second with uh, Lavisca Chenault, and forty third with Marvin Jones. Based on ADP, are you interested in any of these guys as we try to anticipate what this offense is going to look like? Yeah, I mean Marvin Jones is has been a uh, crush of mine. Uh, ADP crush of mine for years and years and years. I just feel like he's been undervalued for years. Uh, they went out and signed him. That's the one thing we know, right? They they drafted Trevor Lawrence and they signed Marvin Jones and they uh, drafted uh, Etienne or whatever his name is. Uh, just bringing tears to every James Robinson owner out there. But we don't know what this offense is going to look like, really. We don't know how the Targets are going to be divvied up amongst Chark, uh, Chenault, and Jones. We just do know that they went out and signed Jones. Uh, so he seems to me, and just looking at my projections versus ADP as the value of these three, I'll probably avoid Chark at his cost. I mean, he's going in the seventh round, which isn't bad. Um, I may I may end up with a few shares, but I don't like I'm not going to be targeting him there. Chenault kind of scares me because they're he was getting some some carries, or that was the thought. Uh, but now they brought in a pass catching back and I worry about his target share uh, with Jones also in there. So of those three, I would say Jones and just kind of in a void with those other two. I mean, you didn't mention Tebow, John. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I can't even I can't even go there. Um, but speaking of Tebow, I guess. Um, so we got Denver, right? We, we talked about him a little bit just as far as the we don't know who's going to be throwing the ball. Um, but you've got Cortland Sutton at 34 and Judy at 41. Are you buying either one of them or are they, are you passing until we know more? I think we're going to, I'm not going to have many shares because I think I'm a few spots low on both players. Uh, I think that Sutton's return is going to throw some, kind of throw a wrench into whatever target shares we were seeing last year. They also have Noah Fant. They want KJ Hamler to be a thing. They got Tim Patrick as well. Uh, so they added the, Javante was a Javante Williams, a mm-hmm. pass catching back as well. So I, I honestly don't think that they're going to pull off this Rogers trade and maybe I'm just being naive, 
Um, but I think we're looking at Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, so that doesn't excite me about, about any of these guys, really. I think Sutton could be okay if he comes back and is what he was. But he's got competition now, a lot of competition for touches or for targets and uh, with Fant and Judy and Hamler and everything. So I don't think he's going to see a lot of double-digit t- target games uh, given the talent around him. I need, like, a note on fantasy drafts that reminds me that K.J. Hamler exists. Like, I just forget he exists. I think about targets and all that, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, he was a second-round pick. They yeah, also, they used, him. They used yeah. him. Yeah, right. And they also have, you know, Albert O, too, who they did use as well. Oh, the tight end, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. let's 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 talk tight end since we're getting a little long here. Um, top three seem to be set: John Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, seemingly head and shoulders above the rest of the tight ends on the list. Uh, Waller and Kittle, uh, you know, interchangeable basically. Uh, throughout the different rankings, you've got them: uh, Kelsey, Waller, Kittle. You mentioned that you're happy taking Waller uh, late second round. Um, are you comfortable drafting Kelsey in the first or Kittle in the second at that ADP as long as you get one of those three guys? Yeah, I mean, Kelsey is interesting because he is now going like pick seven. And that's been where we've been getting him in our FFPC draft where it's tight end premium. Uh So to see him going there now in just regular PPR leagues or half PPR leagues, it's a little off-putting because I've been so used to getting value on him or what I think is value on him. Uh, So I don't know that I'll be drafting him in the middle of the first round. That's a little pricey for me. Uh, knowing that I can get Waller in the late second, Kittle in the late second, so I, I don't know. Like I haven't, as I said, I haven't been in a lot of drafts yet, so I don't know. If I'm gonna be faced with some of these decisions with like an Ezekiel Elliott versus Kelsey. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Wild. Uh, Kelsey has been such a stud at his position. I, mean, I think he's been the tight end one for five straight seasons, or, or at least four. I think it's five actually, and. I you know I don't see him falling off soon, but the you know he's 32 now, and at some point he's gonna not be the tight end one anymore. <laughs> so I uh, I just feel really confident in Waller with Aguilar leaving, John Brown replacing him. John Brown is not a high target guy; he's more of a, an efficient low target guy. So I all I mean all the targets are gonna go to Waller, like all of them. Yeah. So <laughs> Again. I just yeah I mean I feel like getting the stud running back in the first round or even a stud receiver, and then drafting Waller in the second round or the third round, early third round, uh, is the play. Uh, but I, I would also, you know, maybe go tight end later if I, if I was drafting in a position where it didn't make sense. Like, if you're in the middle of that second round, it's hard to pull the trigger necessarily on a Waller or a Kittle when there's some other, these, you know, these other running backs or receivers on the board. And then, they're, then they're probably not going to be there in the middle of the third round. I mean, it used to be where the, the first tight end would go off the board in the late third round. I mean, you could pencil me in for Gates and Antonio Gates at 310 every draft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's not the case anymore. I mean, I think people are wising up to, to the value of having a stud tight end like one of these three. Sure, sure. Um, I think I, I made a joke last week, like Darren Waller, it's the offseason. I'm pretty sure he's still getting targets every day. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> the next three on your list, uh, you got Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, and then there seems to be a break. Uh, to Kyle Pitts at number seven. Uh, those three, they're kind of bunched together, uh, going fifth round, sixth round, seventh round area. Is this a good year to go middle round tight end if you miss out on those top three? Because normally I've always been like, I'm getting one of those top three or I'm waiting till the end. But I, I kind of like these guys. What do you think? Yeah, this group is pretty good. And I think you could add Pitts to that group if, if these Julio rumors are true. And you know Julio says he wants out, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get the trade that he wants because his contract is just off-putting for a lot of teams and tough to 
you know, fit under the cap. So if, if Julio does leave, I think Pitts, his, his stock's going to rise further. And he's been going, I think, tight end four or five in a lot of these early drafts, uh, you know, even around where Mark Andrews is going or right after him, maybe before him. Uh, so this probably you could look at this as a group of four and I like all these guys. I think Goddard is really appealing. If Ertz moves on, if Ertz is still there, then it's a little bit, eh, you know, a healthy season out of Ertz and all of a sudden Goddard with, you know, Devonta Smith there and we got a a new quarterback situation. Maybe it's a little bit dicey to, to use a, you know, fourth or fifth round pick on, but you know, Hawkinson, I love, I don't know. I love because he's going to get a ton of targets, I think, in, in, in Detroit with what happened at receiver there. Marvin Jones leaving, Kenny Galladay leaving. They replaced him with low-volume, deep threats, uh, Tyrell Williams and uh, Rashad Perryman, and they got the rookie in the slot there, St. Brown. But I think it's going to be a lot of Hawkinson and Swift in the passing game. The The question with Detroit is how many touchdowns are they going to score? How good is this offense going to be? Good question. <laughs> like, are they going to – like? but, I mean, I think the targets will be there. Like, I think he's going to get the 70 catches and the 700 yards. I just don't see him as a six – seven eight nine touchdown guy he might be though i mean it might work out but then he like i have him at five and he's projected for 71 and uh, 736 yards so if he gets more touchdowns and five touchdowns so if he gets more touchdowns all of a sudden he's he's in that top three conversation and i just think that of these of this group his targets have the most upside i think pitts has some with the chance that julio leaves um andrews is andrews we kind of know what we're going to get out of him um, but this this group is like I'd be happy if I missed out in the top three and I'm I'm adding one of these guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, when Hawk falls to the sixth, I've been just kind of automatically grabbing him when I see him there in the sixth. Yeah, and I think that's a you also look at or what I do anyway is I look at the other options at the you know at that point in the draft. So if you're looking at Hawkinson's. ADP, he's kind of going around where Sutton and Beckham and Claypool are going. So the question becomes, do you want Calvin Ridley and TJ Hawkinson, or do you want Waller and Beckham or Waller and Claypool? Yeah. And I think that is up to the individual owner uh, as to what they want to do. But, you know, to me, that Ridley-Hawkinson combination has a lot of upside. Yeah. That's a cool yeah. way to think about it. So, John, let's let's skip a little bit down because I'm kind of usually of the ilk of I, I usually go elite or I or I skip down. Um, I do like you know this tier that we just talked about, but I'm not a big fan of the the Higby Thomas Tunyon fan. I, I'm not really digging that. Um, what intrigued me in your rankings is Adam Troutman at 14. Um, that seems you know that's a nice little jump for him. What uh, what has you have him so high? Yeah, I see him. I see he's going 17 now at underdog in the last week. So I don't know if that if there's been enough of a buzz about him to get that bump because uh, he was going, I think, around 20 when I was doing my rankings. I did look at his ADP to see if I was crazy. Uh, but, you know, with with Jared Cook leaving, uh, Manuel Sanders leaving, you have Michael Thomas there as the primary guy. And then it's just up in the air. Like, you know, Traquan Smith might see something. But Trotman. Like they, they drafted him, you know, I think it was third round. He caught 15 of his 16 targets last year, which I think is impressive. Just, I mean, obviously it's only 15 catches, but he caught 15 of 16 targets. Yeah. Uh, 171 yards, had a touchdown. I watched all all of his catches and he's athletic. Um, And that was, you know, playing behind Jared Cook. I think with Cook gone, his his playing time is going to spike to 80% plus. 
he was a big pass catcher at Dayton, which is a smaller school, but he's 70 for 916 yards, 14 touchdowns as a senior, and that was a 97th percentile college dominator score, according to Player Profiler, and that's pretty insane. Uh, they also let Josh Hill walk, because there, there was a time when Josh Hill was going to be the next Jimmy Graham, and that didn't pan out. But <laughs> I remember those days. He's, yeah, yeah, he's gone. He's gone. So we've got Troutman with Nick Vanette, Garrett Griffin, uh, Dylan Soner. I don't know what that is. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, if you look at Troutman and you look at his highlights and what he can do and what, what he did do last year in the limited role, I, I like him a lot. Given his ADP, I think he's going to be that one of those breakout candidates that, you know, is going to play starter snaps all of a sudden and could, you know, 60, 70, 80 catches potentially. I think I the lo- Dylan Soner is the next electric car. That's what I think it right. is. You buy the Dylan Soner, <laughs> the Dylan you know. Soner. <laughs> I like it, John. I hope that I actually hope that people continue to not really pay attention to Troutman and that we can just scoop him up in all these drafts. I think it's, you know, he's he's a great value. Like I said, if you don't, if you if you miss out on that top tier and you decide to wait and you can just load up on depth at wide receiver and then grab him. I think it's a great call. Yeah. And I, I think that's, he's cheap enough, uh, you know, 147 pick 147. So he's going like, like 14th uh, round. Yeah. yeah. So there's this group here, Tanya, Robert Tanya, and he's going 11th round. People think that, I mean, he was a top five tight end last year and people obviously think that Rogers is out the door uh, or that he's going to regress. Anthony Ferkser in the 12th round, Troutman in the 13th, Jar- Blake Jarwin in the 13th. Uh, Gerald Everett in the 14th round, Jared Cook in the 14th round, uh, Cole Komet in the 15th round. I think Komet, the problem I have with Komet is that Jimmy Graham is there and Jimmy Graham's going to get red zone targets. So Komet scares me a little from that standpoint because you you're counting on six touchdowns or something if you want to have a breakout tight end. But you can grab two of these guys and hope for one good starter out of it or at least stretch a games where they're a good starter. Uh, and it's really, you know, a pretty cheap way to, to kind of attack the tight end position. And who knows? I mean, there's been times when I did that, I've done that and I end up with two breakout tight ends on the roster and you could trade one or just, you know, hold on to them and, and have them as uh, insurance. I like that approach too. I quietly grabbed Gerald Everett off waivers in all the uh, dynasty leagues last year, just seeing mm-hmm. his free agency there. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to call it and you can throw this back at me. I think Jimmy Graham isn't on that bears roster on day one. That's what I think. All right. We'll see. <laughs> he's still on there right now. We'll see if he's, if he gets cut, then that's certainly going to bump Komet up. Cause I, uh, you looking at the, even when Komet was, you know, taking over as the primary snap guy, Graham was still seeing, uh, those touchdown looks. And that was the frustrating part for Komet down the stretch last year. He did start to play more than, than Graham, but Graham was still in there as a, a, a a red zone target. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so that's all I've got. We're running low on time. Uh, Jen, any final thoughts? No, I, I'm excited. I, I think, you know, it's always fun when John's rankings come out. Cause then I feel, I feel a little more comfortable uh, in my, in my own personal drafts and I'm sure the subscribers will as well. <laughs> and I like that. I can feel comfortable taking Najee Harris uh, into yeah. the first round and not feel like I'm completely crazy this time. Uh, John, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. I, everyone follow John on Twitter at four for four underscore John, go subscribe to four for four.com. Uh, John, any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, we've got that, that deal with the uh, underdog. If you want a pro free pro subscription at four for four, uh, you just got if you're a new user at Underdog, you just got to de- uh, deposit ten bucks, 
and they will uh, give you $25 once you sign up for Underdog, and you'll get a free $49 value pro subscription at 444. So you're, we're actually paying you this year to <laughs> subscribe amazing. to 444. It's, uh, if you ever thought about you know, on the fence wanting to sign up and just wanted to try out the site, this is a great year for it. Uh, due to the partnership with with Underdog Fantasy. Uh, that's a screaming deal. That's fantastic. All right, uh, listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon and at The Monday Mommy. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.